Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you, as always, by our presenting sponsor. If you don't know who our presenting sponsor is at this point, you obviously don't listen to this podcast. It's ZipRecruiter. That's not smart if you didn't know that. You know what else isn't smart? Job sites that overwhelm me with tons of the wrong resumes. Luckily, there's a smart way at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. They find people with the right skill for your job. They actively invite them to apply right now. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, Hotel Tonight shows you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms and makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. Even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can book it in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool. A pool would be good for you. And more. So to start scoring amazing deals and incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app right now. Um... Some housekeeping. Speaking of house, Joe House. I was on House of Carbs this week. If you missed it, and I don't know why you would have, because you should be subscribing to House of Carbs. We talked about pasta bars. Oh, yeah. Seems like a mundane topic, right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't mundane at all. We talked about not only why we love pasta bars, um, we wondered what makes the perfect pasta bar. In a perfect world, what would it look like? Uh, it made us very hungry. And then we went back to my house and ate pasta that my mom made us. So it was great. It was just a great night all around. I was also on dual threat with Ryan Rossillo, expanding on my idea that the Giants took uh, the right pick at number two with Saquon Barkley. So we hashed that out. We talked about the AFC playoff picture, a whole bunch of stuff. Dual threat with Ryan Rossillo, uh, one of our newer Ringer podcasts. We haven't Another podcast feed we're launching next week. Stay tuned for details on that one. Let's just say movies might be involved in some way. Oh, yeah. People have been asking about the rewatchables, by the way. We uh, we put it on hiatus for a couple of weeks because we had NBA and NFL and all this stuff. But it is going to come back. It will be back by the beginning of January at the latest, maybe even a little sooner than that. So stay tuned. Speaking of things you should be aware of, Ringer's NBA Palooza went up Tuesday all day. Incredible content. And if you haven't seen it yet, I picked my 21st century wine bottle NBA team, the best possible team of all-stars that actually made sense collectively as a team. It's an hour-long show. It's the biggest thing I think we've done at the Ringer just in terms of like commitment, length of the show, all that stuff. So Check that out as well. If you like my basketball book, if you like hearing me compare players against different players and eras and all that stuff, uh, I promise you, you'll like this. And we also have people that come on and make fun of my picks. And uh, there's a Kobe Bryant section that he's probably not going to be very happy about. It's really good. I think you'll like it. So check that out. Check out all the stuff we did. I was in a couple of these. I was in Wake Up and Dunk It, uh, a, a documentary about our failed morning show from last year. I was in Take Hunter 3 which left the door open for a take hunter four. And we did a wins pool draft. I ended up with the Celtics at number two, San Antonio at 19 and the Suns at 29. I think I've already clinched the pool. I think I won. Uh, as usual, I just mopped the floor with these younger ringer people. They're just not as smart as me. I'm older, I'm smarter, I'm more experienced. So it's probably not fair that I compete with them in these things. Killing them in our fit. Nephew Kyle and I, we're killing in our fantasy draft, right? What are we, four and two? Yeah, we gotta, we're going to win that. Trace. 
We have Mahomes and Phil Rivers. Yeah. Part of the great things about uh, running the ringer is just coming up with different ways to just beat people that work here. And uh, I'm not running out of ways yet. I think any sort of contest we've had, I just end up winning. NFL wins pull we did, I'm winning that. NBA wins pull, I'm winning. It's, you know, veteran savvy really counts for something. It's what we learn over and over again here at the ringer. Coming up. We're gonna make. We're gonna talk about uh, the big night in baseball as well as uh, some early thirty-six hour basketball thoughts, and then we're gonna get to a big interview that I did with Jonah Hill. It's funny, Sean Fantasy had Jonah Hill on as well in the big picture, and uh, did a podcast about mid nineties, which is a really good movie. This one's more about Jonah. The one I did with Jonah is more about his career and all this stuff. He's kind of like an honorary ringer member, which I didn't really even realize until we were doing the podcast. But I think in an alternate universe, he's just working here and uh, and writing pieces about Hollywood for us. But turns out he's in Hollywood. So that's coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. I'm taping this from my house Thursday night. This part, at least, this small part at the top. Brought the mic to my house just in case the Red Sox ended up winning the pennant, which seemed improbable because David Price was pitching, who did not pitch well. Uh, the first time we saw him in the postseason was a tiny bit better the second time, but wasn't lights out or anything like that. And then... um Tonight was really all we had. Didn't think there was going to be Craig Kimbrell tonight. Uh, just was concerned. Seemed like a throwaway game with no Chris Sale. Just get it back to Boston up 3-2. No, was not a throwaway game. David Price was magnificent. The bullpen held yet again. And then just to see if he could put my dad in the hospital, Alex Cora brought Craig Kimbrell on for the ninth. And Kimbrell, who had given up, had had pitched to 27 guys in the postseason and 14 of them had gotten on base. He threw, I think like 30 pitches last night, got six out somehow. And, um, didn't seem like there was any way we were going to see him tonight. And yet there he was warming up in the bullpen. And at first it seemed like a joke. And then he came in and looked the best he's looked in a couple months. So maybe the strategy Alex score had was just to completely wear him down and to fatigue him to the point that uh, he got out of whatever funk he was in. He was hitting like high 90s. Um, as usual, though, in classic Kimbrel fashion, the winning out or the last out was uh, a warning track fly ball that seemed like it was going to go out. But this Red Sox team made the World Series. I got to be honest, uh, there might have been some texts in my past from the weekend where I said I thought they were going to get swept. Um, kind of felt that way considering with Chris Sale throwing four innings in game one and the Astros looking like the 75 Reds, it had just had all the makings. I mean, what are the odds you're going to beat the defending champs with your ace basically a shell of himself and your closer not looking great either? Uh, it just did not seem probable, but this Red Sox team got it together. And I think, you know, this has been a really fun season. Obviously, even the team wins 108 games, it's going to be entertaining. Not sound like a dick, but that is just a fact. Um, but I think it's a it's a 
it's a likable team. The 2013 team was likable too. This team really is fueled by the outfielders and JD Martinez in big spots. And then Kimbrell and Chris Sale, and then just the ability of different guys to step up. That's how they ended up with 108 wins. But the outfield was special. And it, you know, Benintende was in a slump in the second half of the year. Kind of started to rally out and rally out of it near the end. Bradley was horrific the first half of the year and then looked like Bradley the second half of the year. Defensively, it's the most incredible outfield I've ever seen him in, certainly in Red Sox uniform, but it's got to rank up there with, with any defensive outfield. And it's funny because when I was growing up, the Red Sox, you know, they'd put <laughs> Tony Armas in center field and Jim Rice in left field. And um, Dewey Evans was considered one of the best outfielders of his generation. He certainly had the arm and he was the position, but not even remotely close to the athlete that these guys are. And it was just funny that over and over again, it just seemed like they were making play after play after play. I saw on Twitter tonight, I think Rosillo compared the uh, the outfield to the 2000 Ravens defensively, which I thought was a great comparison. I wish I'd thought of it, but they've done it all year. I don't know how many runs they've saved, but it it's, gets to the point where any hard line drive or any deep fly ball, you just feel like somebody's going to get it. Bradley's the best center fielder they've ever had. You know, My first favorite center fielder was Fred Lynn, and he was great for his time. Bradley's, you know, just, just a little bit better. And Betts in right field has been insane. And he had that, he gunned out uh camp last night from right field on a play that it didn't seem like he had any chance whatsoever, especially with Kemp's speed. Ben and Tende, you saw, you know, made what I thought was the most clutch catch in my lifetime before it was Bernanski in 1990, I think was the go-to one. Cause that got the Red Sox into the playoffs that year. I remember watching it in college, they had a bad camera angle. You didn't know if he caught it or not. Kind of a legendary catch with low stakes considering uh, nothing good happened after that in the playoffs. And then I think the other one was Dwight Evans in, in game six, the 75 world series, kind of the forgotten play of what was considered to be one of the great baseball games ever. Um, I think it was Joe Morgan. God, I was like six. I can barely remember it. But I think it was Joe Morgan cranked one into right field and he went deep into the corner and got it and uh, and also did a great throw after. But, um, but for the stakes and considering that people are saying it would have gotten by him. I don't think it would have gotten by him. I think he would have trapped it. But um, as I said on the pod a couple of days ago, when you don't trust your closer – and he's trying to get through whatever he's trying to get through in the ninth, and you really have no backup plan. And it's basically just him or you're going to lose. And they're honing in on him every pitch, and you can see every whisker in his face and the sweat going down his brow and all that stuff. There, there's just nothing more tense than that. Um, I think playoff hockey is bad, but playoff hockey, at least there's breaks. You know, you might have a timeout. Uh, you have a chance to regroup and exhale and stuff like that, but... Playoff baseball just it's it's completely utterly relentless. And um we had it against the Yankees to close the game there. Yesterday was worse because all of a sudden it was like, wow, they're they're really gonna pitch him six outs. This is happening. We've no other relievers. We're out. They took out Barnes and that was it. It was like Kimbrel or bust. And just you know, he's hitting guys, he's giving up liners left and right, he's walking people. Every count seems like the guy's three balls. And um to watch him get through that was incredible. 
the reason I didn't think this team was going to make the World Series was because when we got to October, I could not imagine who was going to pitch the seventh and eighth innings. We could not figure it out. Barnes had been good during this season and had good stats, but had never really been there before. And then other than that, it was just Joe Kelly, Brazier, unproven, all these people, Workman. And it just seemed improbable. It just seemed like that was going to be the Achilles heel of this team. And even felt it the first game against the Yankees. It was like, oh, here we go. It's the sixth inning. We already can't find a reliever to get it out of this. And then the second game, Brazier told Sanchez to get back in the box. And it like transformed him. He became a different guy after that. Barnes stepped up and just came through every time they pitched him. And by the time we got to game four in Houston, um, it just... It felt like we had two guys we could trust, Brazier and Barnes. They were reliable. I actually trusted them more than I trusted Kimbrell by the time by the time uh <laughs> by the time we got to game five. I uh I, I think that's one of the great things about baseball that you just you know, you just never know. It's it's such a short time frame, right? You only have to win eleven games. And somebody could just get hot for two weeks or you get some pitcher that can all of a sudden is lights out for two weeks and all this, and things flip and you just, you're riding it. And I think with Brazier and Barnes, um, they're at least reliable enough that it makes up for the fact that Kimbrough is a roller coaster ride and Chris Sale was in the hospital this week. And um, I, I think if either of those guys hadn't shown up, they absolutely lose game four at least and maybe even two or, or three or who knows um i'm the most surprised by that i was not expecting that i thought this this felt like a 108 game 108 win team that was going to get to the playoffs and not going to be able to do the little things but then you turn out you get two relievers then you throw in the defense and the flexibility of the roster and all that. And the team just started peaking at the right time to beat the Astros four straight is just bonkers. Uh, and by the way, I want to say goodbye to the words Bregman Springer and Altuve coming up next. I don't want to hear that for like seven months. Those, those three guys are absolutely petrifying. I was afraid of almost everybody in the Astros. It's a really good team. I don't know how he beat them four times in a row. I was talking, I did a tweet about, um, and yeah, after the Yankee thing, I did a tweet about demons and, you know, that when it was falling apart in Yankee Stadium briefly with Kimbrell on the mound, not being able to get anyone out, it was like every, I said every demon from the attic had climbed, had climbed into, uh, into the, onto the sofa next to me and was just sitting there. And, uh, and Levitard's co-host, Stu Gatz, who I'm friends with, he did a whole riff on his show about how stupid that was. And Boston's won so many titles. How dare I, how dare I have any demons? All my demons have been exercised. I called in, we went at it. It was really fun. His attitude was I shouldn't have any more demons. And he's right to some degree, but on the other hand, the first 35 years of, of my life as a, as a Boston fit was spent with the Red Sox, just kicking me in the teeth. And um, that was my generation and the, four generations before me who like Boston. It's really tough to not have that in your DNA anymore. Like I don't, I don't care how much success you've had short term, medium term, whatever. But um, when your default mechanism is just that, um, wow, things are going to go awful. This is, this is terrible. You can, you can ease your way out of it, but it's almost like 
let's say I was crippled with my left leg briefly and I couldn't move off my left leg and you just got used to it. You got used to not being able to use your left leg and not being able to run all this stuff. And then one day your left leg was fixed. I still feel like you would think something was wrong with your left leg for the rest of your life, even though it was fine. And I think that's what, what it's, what it's been like the last, I don't know, 14 years since 2004, the, it's still the instinct is to think something is wrong at all times, even though nothing's wrong. And uh, it's still a hard thing to get used to. I guess guess the difference is lose, like let's say they had lost the Yankee stadium game um, or they had blown the six out save game with Kimbrell. It's a disaster and it's a bummer, but you know, when you compare it to stuff like the Boone home run and things like that, uh, if you go back and read the piece I wrote for page two in 2003, um, I sound like a like a like a maniac. Um, I really sound like somebody whose life is unraveling and is in danger. And uh, I think that's the difference. And you know, I think a couple of the greatest what ifs of this century, from a sports standpoint, what if the Red Sox hadn't won in two thousand four? I, th- I think everyone just would have gotten more and more psychotic as the years went because this year is nineteen eighteen, two thousand eighteen. This would have been the hundred year anniversary. At that point, I probably would have stopped following baseball. So I think that was a big what if. I think um, Clay Thompson was the what if that led to LeBron winning the title. I think I think uh, OKC would have beaten Cleveland. But then the what if, if LeBron hadn't won the title, if they hadn't come back in that Warrior series, he never could have left Cleveland. He made too big of a deal of, you know, you know, I'm back here. I'm back here to bring us a title. You can't leave after that. He's stuck there until he wins the title. So, you know, it leads to go with the Lakers whole thing. But, um, you know, it's been an amazing 14-year run. And if your teams aren't doing well, you definitely don't want to hear me talk about it. But I did want to say, um, I really do like this Red Sox team. It's really, it's really great, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't apologize. <laughs> You know who's fun to watch? Mookie Betts. You know who else is fun to watch? Ben Intende and J.D. Martinez. And uh, this is just a really fun team. They're certainly not the scrappy underdogs. The Red Sox, I think, had the highest payroll in the league. But uh, it's been really fun. And Dodgers, Red Sox? If that's on the table? I think Yankees-Dodgers is is the biggest the biggest World Series we can have are some, it's like Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, Cubs, in some order, mix and match. That's going to be just kind of feel bigger and have these fan bases with these generations of things. Maybe throw the Giants in there. I don't know. After They're probably fifth on that list. But Dodgers, Red Sox, two franchises that, I don't know, I mean, they might have played in the 1910s. I don't even remember. The Red Sox were in like six World Series that decade. Um, but they certainly haven't played since. And then you have situations like my dad, who grew up in Brooklyn as a kid and was a Dodgers fan, and then they left. And they moved to LA. And he basically did not have a team for the next 10 years until he moved uh, to Massachusetts to go to school and fell in love with the Red Sox during the 67 season and has been a fan ever since. But I do think there's with the older generation, like probably the 70 and overs, 
I think there are some Dodger fans who they left and then they eventually became Red Sox fans or somebody else fans. And a lot of those people are still around, including my dad. But Dodgers, Red Sox, it just felt like something we would never, never see. So that'd be fun. I would also be fired up for the Brewers just because Red Sox Brewers would be so bizarre. Oh, nephew Kyle says in 1916, we had a little Red Sox Brooklyn, Brooklyn thing. I think QB Brown announced that. But, um, <laughs> but uh, Dodgers Red Sox would be freaky. And for me, there's a revenge factor because one of my closer friends, Hershey, Giants fan, and I feel like he has something over me with the the two Giants Super Bowls, Giants Pats, and Red Sox Dodgers now is my one chance to flip the script. I'll never be able to flip the script because the Giants ruined the 16-0 and Pats and then, uh, and then did it a second time. And we basically put Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame because of those two games. He's easily like one of the most mediocre quarterbacks in my lifetime. And he's now in the Hall of Fame because we blew those two games to him. So Dodgers, Red Sox, the ability to flip the script on all the New York Giants fans who are also Dodger fans. I don't know how many of them out there. Maybe it's just my friend Hershey and his brother, but I would relish the chance at that. And just in general, good times all around. Um, I was going to FaceTime my dad, but I think he probably passed out on the couch and maybe not from joy. I think Craig Kimball might've actually, he maybe he just passed out from fear, but um, I don't know, man, maybe Craig Kimball's back. But this is to think that the Red Sox made the World Series. They got four innings out of Chris Sale. And Craig Kimbrell was just a walking heart attack the entire time. And uh and they had David Price in a closeout game, like just ridiculous. I never gave up on David Price. I have the Twitter, the tweet to prove it. I was the one person who believed in you, David Price. Um so yeah, we'll see. Red Sox versus Dodgers, Red Sox versus Brewers. Who knows? For football picks this week, I am banning myself from making picks this week. I went 0-3 last week. I've had an embarrassing season, and I got to be honest, uh, I'm very distracted between basketball uh, basketball starting this week and the Red Sox, and um, I'm suspending myself for the week. I, you don't deserve to hear my picks. I'm not doing them. You can't make me. But what I can do is give you an awesome podcast with Jonah Hill, which is coming up right after this break. Hey, Google Pixel, unleash the most powerful Pixel ever on the network chosen by Google, Verizon. Oh yeah, Pixel 3 has more than just any camera. It takes group selfies, snaps in portrait mode, and helps you always pick the perfect moment with Top Shot, which automatically recommends the best picks when no one is blinking and everything looks just right. Also, the Pixel 3 has the power of Google Lens, which means you can search what you see. And when you get the Pixel 3 and Verizon, it comes with America's best network. Now, families can mix and match their unlimited plans on the best network with unlimited on Verizon. Everyone in the family gets what they want without paying for the things they don't. I've seen this Pixel 3. The camera is actually incredible. Just throwing that out there. Visit your local Verizon store today or learn more at vzw.com. That is vzw.com. 
All right, Jonah Hill is here. We did, uh, we talked for a while actually when I had my HBO show. We had a good time. We talked about the Lakers. Yeah, Kanye. Uh, who was going to get Jack's seat? You got, you got very uncomfortable because it was foreshadowing a time in life where Jack's not going to be with us. But then we both realized Jack's going to be here forever. I think Nobody he, gets Jack's seat. No, I think he's going to live to be 291 years old. <laughs> Could be. That's the over under. It's 291.5. Is he the only. Like white dude who could pull off sunglasses inside always. Yes. Yeah, I think I'm so. trying to think. Is there some rapper we're forgetting? Uh but I mean like just as a cool enough like actor, just a random white dude to be able to wear sunglasses and be that cool yeah, and not a, be a rapper. Yeah. Basically. Who would be the number one celebrity who said to you, I saw mid nineties, it was awesome, man. Nice job. That would make you just melt inside. Would it be Jack? I, it already happened, but it's film more filmmakers or skateboarders, right? Oh, so you'd be so, like a director. Or rappers. Yeah, director, rapper, or skateboarder. Those would be the three people that I value, you know, like if you know, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of thing. And everybody else. I love watching people respond to it, but, uh, you know, PTA and Spike, like people like that or Mark Gonzalez or Q-Tip, like people like that are the people that kind of are the cornerstones of why this existed or what I would be trying to, um, you know, like heroes of mine, basically. Yeah. Those are the people that inspire me the most or have inspired me. Well, and as an actor, you have the old, oh, you're going to direct? Like we've seen that before. The, the cliche yeah. of, oh, all right, fine. I like to go, choose go things. Go try this. <laughs> I like to choose things like, Skateboarding, hip hop, and actors turned directors working with kids, non actors. <laughs> Every possible thing that someone shits on is like what I guess I try and walk right into. And maybe, uh, maybe that's a good way to go about it. It was a good movie. Oh, thanks, man. That I means a lot. You have good taste. Well, you, you used Wave of Mutilation, which I was fired up about because the UK, ver the surf version, the real version, yeah. my favorite version. Yeah. Because Pump Up the Volume had it, which oh, I yeah. know you know. I love that film. Yeah. Who and it was like the key part of Pump Up the Volume. Yo, I saw Samantha and it was Mathis. Like, what is this? What version is this? How do I get it? And it was just for years. And then finally when the iTunes and that era came on, I was like, there it is. I know you could finally get it. I think I think if you're, uh, I don't know. I think a lot of being a director, a lot of directors I know, like you just, you emotionally see or hear you hear a song and you see your own version of it, right? Yeah. Say you're at the gym or you're just walking around New York or something like for me, like you hear a song and it has your own personal connection to it, your own experience. And as a filmmaker, it's amazing because you get to put the emotion and the visuals to how you experience that song. And right. that, this whole movie was like that for me. You well, you're, ge you're born in 83? 83, yeah. So your generation was used to that. Like used to music being used to advance a story in a creative way. Yeah. Yes. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when that started. Was it American Graffiti? No, it was basically Miami Vice. <laughs> and it was like the music videos for two years. And then Miami Vice was the first one that entire parts of the plot but were But Scorsese movies like Mean Streets and stuff definitely had some, like Scorsese yeah. had some But I'm saying Miami Vice was like, this is- In the 80s? Yeah, this is just like the key moment of this entire episode is just going to be- Crockett at this phone booth with a song. <laughs> this, this Do you remember it, your favorite you? one? Oh, well, there was the that was how the Phil Collins song like blew up a second time in the air tonight. Can, yeah, in the air tonight was from that. Oh yeah, wow. from the pilot. Isn't it say anything too? 
It was yeah, that was, that six, was after? like five, okay. six years later. But Vice Sorry, would try this is to, not my era. I'm trying to put it. did Biko and Peter, Peter Gabriel. I'm going backwards. But <laughs> that was the first time I remember like music actually being as important as any character. And then yeah. I think that came and came. But I, I noticed that with your movie, like and it seemed like you took care in not just picking the songs people thought you would have picked in that movie. Like no, you had some underground gems. I mean, to me, I'm as much as I'm a cinephile. That's I'm a skate nerd and I'm a rap nerd. And like, you know, to me, those were a big part of this movie was to like elegantly frame hip hop in a way. I think hip hop like skating is always butchered in movies. It's either yeah. like someone driving through the hood or someone popping bottles of champagne or something, you know, stupid like that. And to me, the music that's the emotional backbone of me growing up is hip hop music. So I wanted to make a film that could show that Tribe was to me what the Beatles were to my parents, right? Yeah. Or Mob Deep is Rolling Stones, et cetera. Like that is important to me that it's not just used as a move, but used in the way that I I perceive that music to be. You was know? there any song that you didn't get that you were bummed out? You couldn't get the rights or? Uh, no, I, but we didn't have a lot of money. It was just writing letters and begging people to use it and begging screening people. them the movie. Yeah, for real. Like, that's it. Like, I didn't have... I think everyone, like, the knock on when, like, an actor makes a movie or someone who's in Hollywood, they're like, he just cut a check for all these songs. Yeah. Like, I had no money. I didn't pay Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross <laughs> any money. I didn't, like, you know, it wasn't like that. So people just showed up for passion, which it was really meaningful, you know? I would figure... I would have thought there would have been one estate that got a little salty. Like some of especially like, the you know, Wu-Tang's. Uh, <laughs> well, sometimes there's samples involved. And then what happened was I went to Morrissey first because I figured that would be the hardest. Plus fun to go to Morrissey just for anything. Yeah. No, I mean, I wrote him this letter that really meant something to me. And then he said yes right away. And then I'm- Really? Yeah. He you just didn't have said to show yes. up to his castle? I wrote him a really drink personal with him or You know the coolest thing about him though? What? He- is the only modern author, like when he did his autobiography, he said he'll give it to Penguin, but it has to be on Penguin Classics. So it's all like, <laughs> you know, like Of Mice and Men and then Morrissey's <laughs> autobiography. It's just so, he's so sick. Like he's the coolest. Um, and then I, I'm lucky enough to be friends with, and and one of the first people, the first person I showed a first cut to is Q-Tip. And so once I had Tribe and Morrissey, I think people were like, oh, this is, you know, cool people effect. are cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Get some of the big dogs first, and then some people are like, "Okay, we can we can participate." It's That's been- what happened with Thirty for Thirty. We had to get like the first three, and yeah. then you go to everybody else and be like, "We have this guy, this guy, and this guy," and it's like, boom. It's a tried and true formula. Yeah. I think you just go just for who you imagine's the hardest, and then they're like, "Oh, that person's in on it." I think I've fully work. done movies where just because they got someone I thought was cool was in it without even me thinking. <laughs> Did you get double crossed ever <laughs> in that scenario? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, you're like, yeah, <laughs> we got Leo, we got Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's like. Yeah, you want to be. What's that? Uh, did you ever see? What's that great doc about Shep Gordon, Supermensch? Did you see that? Mike Myers made it. Oh, it's so you I wouldn't think it's I saw so it. up your alley. It's about Alice Cooper's Mike, manager. Mike Myers from SNL. He co-directed a movie called Supermensch about this music manager named Shep Gordon, who's basically like Zelig. Like he's just been everywhere. Just side note, you would love it. It's yeah. so up your alley, but. He had this thing where he was trying to blow up Anne Rice. Is that the singer? Like the kind of old white woman or like the white, like kind of corny woman from the seventies. Is that Anne no, Rice? Anne Rice no, is the, the writer. Author. Is the, is the yeah. author. Fuck Corny dude. from the seventies. I'm blowing it. Whatever. She's like, she's like a John singer. Denver kind of singer yeah. or whatever. And 
he got in her in a picture with like the Hollywood vampires, like Alice Cooper, John Lennon, and Harry Nielsen. And he's like, it's by association. Like yeah. you, you shine it by association. And I think everyone kind of does that in some way, you know, where it's like, just be in the photo with John Lennon and Alice Cooper and Harry Nielsen, and you're going to be cool by association. Right. right. So I think you do that in life too. Like you've done, made horrible decisions as a teenager, which is like what the movie's about basically, yeah. just because you're seeing someone you look up to or respect do it without even thinking about what your personal, you know, stake is in that decision. I don't want to, I don't want to ask you the same questions you, I know you're on the, you know, you've done a few interviews. Yeah. Um, but what made you, this is the only one I'm going to ask you that you've answered before. Sure. What made you want to tell this story? What resonated mm. it? Because it's like, it's a really personal, um, you know, I, I don't think you grew up exactly like this kid. Mm -mm. So what was it that drew you to the kid and the character? For those who are listening who haven't seen it yet, it's this kid with this older brother who hates him. Yeah, the movie's called Mid-90s. Mid-90s. Well, we said that before. Oh, okay, my bad. Sorry. I'm going to keep plugging it, though. No, you're the man. Um, you do whatever you want. I'm just happy the, to be here. This is cool. <laughs> Out of the things I have to do to promote movies, this is uh, no, like an yeah. obvious high point. Uh, obvious oh, high thank point. thank you. Um, so he's got a mean older brother. Yeah, he's got an abusive he's got a older weird brother. Single mom thing going on. He's a latchkey kid. Yeah, and he's got a single mom who's kind of figuring out how to be an adult herself. And he's lonely, and he's really lonely, and he's trying to figure out a way into connection. And he sees skateboarding. He sees these kids, and they're. I'd say their brotherhood and their connection, you could see from 10,000 miles away. And whether it was skating or anything, I think yeah. everybody's just looking for community. And he makes these friends. And it's about like when your friends are far more important than your family. So and what he, was your version of that? Skateboarding. You know, well, it's been many different things. Yeah. You know, when it was a kid, when I was way younger, it was like The Simpsons, right? And it was like other kids who were into like comedy and The Simpsons and stuff like that. And then skateboarding. So I grew up skating in West LA. This is not like my story. It's not a biopic. I sucked. But, you know, uh, I'm sure Barry Levinson can't smash home runs, but he can make a damn great movie about baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, to me, it, it uh, actually, I don't want to talk shit about Barry. I like Barry a lot. He's my one of my heroes. He probably yeah, can smash like, him. Fuck that guy. He's like, dude, run. I can hit 50 home runs. I hit a 250 <laughs> home runs. <laughs> um, no, but, but, it came into my life when I needed it and it provided me with a community. It provided me with, there's just such an anti-subversiveness to skating. And especially at that time, as opposed to now, now it's going to be like an Olympic sport, but yeah, you know, society kind of shit on skateboarders, but it was very like punk hip hop, big brother magazine was the, the humor was so subversive, the taste in music, the, how you dress, just like a lens that you see the world through. But when I got old enough to reflect on it, it was really just a bunch of outsiders who loved one another, you know? And that, to me, I always knew skateboarding was going to be part of my first movie, if not a central part of it, you know? I intentionally didn't read any of the interviews you gave for this because I'd wanted to be surprised by your answers. Cool. The one thing that I noticed in this movie, and I have no idea if I'm on it or not, mm. is it felt a little like... Uh, like kids, the Larry Clark movie, like the mm -hmm. vibe of it. Was yeah. that, was that in your head at all or no? I think it's like the funniest knock for people like who haven't seen it is like, they're like, Oh, kids 2.0. And it's like, oh, they're saying that like when the trailer came out, like, you know, like you go on Instagram and they're like kids 2.0, whatever, you know? And well, it's not like kids though. That's the thing, but it had that kind of, I didn't have a history with any person in the movie except Lucas Hedges. 
Right. So you don't know anything. So I don't know anything. So I'm just like all these new people are in my oh, life. No, it's totally fair because it's mid nineties skateboarding. So the yeah, aesthetic yeah. is, I mean, identical, but it's us matching to that period without it actually being in that period. So it's essentially like, a full period piece, but kids came into my life the same way Goodfellas did, like a wrecking ball. Like, like, yeah, it's one of my seminal movies for me. So oh, the okay. movie's made with like such huge consideration of kids. In fact, I put Harmony Korine in the movie as like uh, ode to kids, like a little nod of respect. And he read the script and gave notes and has been a big supporter of it. But to me, it's the same. I mean, it's the same world because they're they're skaters in the mid nineties, but it's kind of like an anti-kids because kids is beautiful and it's nihilism, right? It's kind of like the world's ending tomorrow. Let's fucking blow everything up. When I never wanted to see the kids from kids again at the end of the movie. <laughs> I was like, I'm done with all these people. Your movie, I was like, no, wait, it's, I want to hang what's out. What's going to happen? Well, the, 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 the difference is, is that this, Late 90s, this movie is all about connection. You know, yeah. it's literally all about hope that like, even if things are really messed up, even if you make terrible, possibly life ending decisions, people have love for one another. And I think to me, the only reason to get out of bed in the morning is to connect or create. And often those things really overlap with one another. And so I don't really have a nihilistic point of view. I really, whether it was back then or now, I can get really negative, but ultimately what keeps me going is connection. Yeah. And I wanted to be the kind of filmmaker that, you know, makes things that even if things are gnarly or they're they're harsh or they're uncomfortable or unsettling, ultimately there's a heartbeat of like connection there. And I, I like films like that. Yeah. So you don't know this, but I got involved a little bit with this documentary that HBO is coming out called Momentum Generation. Mm -hmm. You heard about this? No, not yet. Um, it's coming out in December. December, you said? It's a movie about Kelly Slater and all the dudes that he surfed with in uh -huh. Hawaii and this brotherhood that they formed in the early 90s. Wow. And what happened was this guy that was with them started making videos and was putting this punk punk rock music to it that nobody had really heard. And it kind of spawned this whole movement. Uh-huh. And then all those guys blew up and became super famous. It's a really good documentary. Like, I'm really proud of it. But it, I can't wait it was to funny it. that there was, in this parallel universe, the same sort of skateboarding thing. Now, it didn't... There was no face. There was no Kelly Slater for skateboarding in the mid '90s, right? Was there somebody that? Because Kelly, he became famous because he was on Baywatch and started dating. Yeah, Pam Anderson. I mean, not not really. I guess Spike Jones would kind of be the the oh, yeah. artist in residence. Yeah, of I guess like I guess this he culture. would. Yeah. yeah, because someone who became a very the face of it kind of just represented the a version of the artistry that comes from these kind of individual sports. So it's like a group of individuals that form a team, unlike baseball, it's like, or basketball or organized sports. It's really kids who don't want to be in their fucking house who like are right. out there in the streets and- Or a little damaged in some way and they're just wants, you know, searching for something. There's a type of person that is drawn to something where you slam on concrete over and over and over and have to get back up and do it again. And the only result is really personal. Right. You know, well, or maybe like, a high five from your friend, you know, it's like, it's not like hitting a home run in a stadium, you know, and it's not like, uh, just a generation of great artists come from skateboarding. And I think whether it's customization of your board or the graphics or artists or filmmakers who filmed or like myself, like I was a filmer, I sucked. So I filmed yeah. everybody, you know, Spike's kind of the, was the uh, poster boy for that working. You know, and he's a friend and a collaborator and a mentor and 
I think he does represent, I'm not an ambassador for the culture. I'm just a kid who it affected. Spike is a really good artist to come from that world at that time. Well, the other parallel with the surfing and the skateboarding is the crazier the thing you pulled off or the more kind of reckless and it somehow worked, the more mm. cachet you kind of have in your group. Like, holy shit, did you see that guy? Like when He's out of his mind. In the movie, yeah. when he falls, mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil it, but he does a thing that he lands basically yeah. below a building. <laughs> well, this kid, and everybody's like, whoa, man, that was cool. I mean, that's what gains him respect yeah. along with um, sexual achievements. Yes. Right. So it's like yes. in the movie, there's, you know, uh, a scene where he has his first sexual encounter and it's, it's kind of, un- it's very uncomfortable to watch. He's a young kid, you know, and the girl's older. And not only is it the pain you endure that gets you up through the animal kingdom, you know, sexuality at that time, at least from my perspective, in a truthful way, was taught as like, as opposed to joyous connection, it was currency. Yeah. To get respect, right? Which is lessons we're all having to like unlearn now, right? So to me, it just, whether it's the homophobic language, whether it's the misogyny, whether it's all this stuff, I wanted to try and be authentic and I wanted it to be raw. And it is hard to watch a lot of the time. Yeah. But it's the truth. And I really, the people I've worked with that I like, my heroes that have like mentored me the most. They're not moralist filmmakers. I don't really want to be a moralist. I kind of want to like present a palette and let the audience decide how they feel. And that's one of the reasons I like the movie because it doesn't shy away from things that are hard to watch, in my opinion, whether that's self-abuse, whether that's, you know, the way people speak to one another. Um, I just wanted to show people fronting for one another and then what it's like privately also, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's been a real conundrum the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You saw it with the Game of Thrones, the, the creators that? of that show, and people what got was really upset about some of the content and the show's too mean to women. And, and mm-hmm. it's like, this is a show with dragons. And, you know, like this is a complete alternate universe and everybody's awful to everybody. I forgot someone was saying about talk show hosts, how now they have to be like our moral guides all of a sudden when yeah, something fucked up epicenter. happens in culture. And it's like- yeah. No, dog, you're a comedian. Like, you tell jokes, you know? Like, right. like to me, putting something in a film isn't supporting it. It's showing it. Well, it's also art. And yeah. it's you're creating characters and you're not condoning the behavior of the characters sometimes. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I just think, I, I hope if I'm lucky enough, the reward of all this is I'd get to make another movie. All I want to do is just make movies. Yeah. Like, I love it. I hope to always make complex, challenging characters that aren't as easy to sort of like take away what you feel about them. These kids do some horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> like ultimately they're there for one another. And so it's not so black and white. And to me, movies are their best when things aren't so black and white. Let's take a break to talk about the Microsoft Surface. Need a device that helps you get stuff done, but is also perfect when you want to catch up on some fun, like streaming live sports or checking on your fantasy team. Check out the latest member of the Microsoft Surface family. It's the new Surface Pro 6. Just take the keyboard off and use it like a tablet or snap it back on and use it like a laptop. It's that easy. With up to 13 and a half hours of battery life and the new 8th gen Intel Core processor, it's everything you love about the Surface Pro. Now even more powerful. That is the new Surface Pro 6 from Microsoft Surface. And since we're here quickly, uh, some people asked about 
the t-shirts we were wearing from uh, the Ringer's NBA preview Palooza on Tuesday. Well, all you have to do is go to the ringer.com slash shop and you can find those t-shirts and a whole lot more. So the ringer.com slash shop, hats, t-shirts, stickers, you name it, it's all there. Check it out. Back to the pod. We did this podcast called The Rewatchables where we go back. I and, love it. Oh, thank I you. I love that. Well, we, I did love wedding, we did Redding Crashers and mm. we're like, does this movie get made now? But I think uh, two good examples that you were in. So super bad. Mm-hmm. Like you watch that now. I watch it with my kids. Uh-huh. So my, my daughter's 13 and my son's 10. We started watching. I'm like, ah, they're old enough for super bad. I'll be fine. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. Right. And it was like 20 minutes. And I'm like, all right, we're not watching this anymore. Like the the language that everybody was using and- um, I was like, wow, I, I didn't realize. And it was only 10 years ago, but I still stand by the movie. That's just how kids, you're trying to represent how kids were talking in whatever year that was. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing. I think we're in it in so many ways. Mostly I just want to like listen and be helpful to people if I can, because I am yeah. a straight white dude and like literally no one really wants to hear how I feel about right. this shit. And so it's like, I'm just here to listen, help out if I can be yeah. better. But yeah, man, I mean, look, like to me, I waited to become a filmmaker. It's what I wanted my whole life. I fell accidentally into this amazing acting career and got to learn from all my heroes. And it's been insane. It's been amazing. But ultimately I'm serving someone else's vision, right? And to act is to be seen and to write is to be heard. And so for me, I had to really think about those things when making this film. If I'm going to show the 90s, am I going to show it as as raw as it was or am I going to rewrite history, right? Yeah. And I felt it was more offensive to rewrite history than to show it how it was. And that should be the point in my mind, right? Yeah. But look, like you make, yo, the one thing that is hard right now and I, I the reason why I couldn't stay just in comedy, like just straight up comedy is because A, I think the reasons why a lot of comedians are dark is because everyone has so many sides to themselves. And if you're limited to showing just that sliver of who you are, you won't be able to sort of maintain the facade, I don't think, as we've seen now in lots of ways. So that was just a part of who I am. And at the same time, how the fuck are you supposed to be funny now? Like, I I don't understand how how you could do it. Like, to write something funny, you to do anything good, you have to fail forward, right? So- a great Chris Rock joke starts as like a decent Chris Rock joke or maybe even a bad Chris Rock joke. So if someone's filming his sets as he's sharpening his act and trying to get a joke ready, how is he ever supposed to get to that great point, right? And if it's funny, it's hard now because things are getting better in a lot of ways because people aren't getting fucked with that have been marginalized. But they're also unable to laugh at things and so it's a tricky thing that I'm not really able to reconcile with. You know what I mean? Like I have a hard time with it because I am someone who's been marginalized, even though I'm a straight white dude. I'm someone who's been made fun of like constantly throughout my career. Yeah. But also I have a sense of humor. And so it's like this tricky thing where people are sensitive and they're, they're also want to have fun and enjoy life and laugh, right? So it does put everybody in their own unique personal situation but the coolest people like Chappelle or whoever they just make their art and they walk through it and they stand by what they make and I don't know I'm still there watching it 
Yeah, Chappelle's two specials were really fascinating because he just was like, fuck it. Yo, I was at one of the Chappelle shows and one of the things, there'd be a moment where the Asian person next to me was super offended or a yeah. moment where I was super offended or a moment where someone else was super offended, but everybody got it, right? Yeah. So it's like everybody's like sort of an equal, uh, everyone's fair game, he's right? He spreads it around. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't fuck around. He's a genius. And I also saw things that were like deeply upsetting to people should Dave Chappelle not make comedy specials anymore? He's the best living comedian in the entire world. Like, I hope he get. you know, like we're just in a weird place in our world and well, we, we have to just like kind of understand that and like yeah. let other people sort of dictate where it all plays out because that's what's up. You know? Yeah, but the comedy, it's it's removed the safety net. It's like if, the, if comedians are the circus performers that on the trapezes that catch each other. But it's okay because there's the safety net at the bottom. Now yeah. there's no safety net. And when somebody's trying out a 10-minute routine at a club and amps it 10% too far. Your career's you over. Yeah, you don't really know until you made the joke of like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. I shouldn't. I should alter that. Yeah, there's right, a cool I'll, idea I'll tweet here. That when I'm actually on stage, and right. now it feels like your career could be ruined if somebody's well, iPhone cameraing your. What joke. was so rad about like Lenny Bruce and people like that, right? So think about this: things were so conservative, yeah. right? That there was such a, a, a the line was so close to us, right? It wasn't this loose line. So if Lenny Bruce is saying anything sort of controversial, it's sort of making fun of the conservatives, right? Mm. And that is punk and that is rad. And we celebrate that. And a generation is formed on that, right? Yeah. Or Richard Pryor, whoever, right? Richard Pryor is a good one. A too. great one. Now that everything is about sensitivity, which I'm not saying I disagree with. I'm a sensitive motherfucker who hates being made fun of and it hurts my feelings deeply. And I talk about it. So I'm not saying I have an answer or there is an answer. But my point is now that everything's about sensitivity, the only way to be punk is to go to the other side. And that's not allowed any longer because your your career's over. Yeah, so but you it's just like, spelled out that's what's going to happen, though. Huh? I think that's where this is going to go. I think I think I don't know where it's going to go. Rebel the other way because that'll be the interesting place to be. And we just got to sit back and watch. And that's it's, and that, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, because I'm with you. I don't know what happens to comedy, and I don't think sometimes you can't legislate what's funny. I don't. If there was like. Because if you're going to do that, you could go back to the first five years of SNL and we could go through 50 sketches and be like, that show should have been off the air. I mean, so I, 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 I was reading, I, uh, I was reading uh, Harold Ramis's daughter's book and she's talking about how she would get on Harold about Animal House now. Like the oh, politics Animal of Animal House. Now. Yeah. yeah I mean, and I've been seeing it since I was a kid and it actually wasn't that many for me. But Animal House can be legislated because there's an actual like a date rape thing in Animal House that- but that's my point is that's like not my film, right? Yeah, like sure. I was more, 40 years ago. Yeah, like right. for me, I was more like coming to America and stuff like that right, or right, my right. like seminal comedy. But like, yeah, like shit changes, jokes get weird. <laughs> like yeah. it's all weird, man. Like, and to me, I guess I'm I'm trying to, you know, you saw my film, right? So it's like, there's really funny stuff. There's really emotional stuff. There's really violent. There's really joyous stuff. It like- But it's authentic. And I think authentic is what matters. And that's my point is like, is like, I'm willing to kind of just say what's up and and hope that the people that understand know where my heart is, but it's also not my job to tell people how to think. I just want to, if I'm doing something about time period, I want to tell the truth, you know? I, I, my only issue is when we go and go backwards and try to legislate art where 
It's a tricky zone. Yeah. You know, like even you could go through, I'm sure the Apatow movies and be like, oh, well, that, and it's like, I mean, you right, could hundred well, percent. We like, weren't doing that when they came out. I was know? talking to a friend of mine who's gay and he was like saying like, do you remember in 40 year old version when they're having that whole scene where they're saying like, you know, oh, how I know gay. you're gay. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even, if you had told me at that time, like how fucked up, I'm not in that scene by the way, yeah. but like everyone loves 40 year old version. <laughs> I don't know. Like, and yeah. it's like. I know those dudes are not hateful, mean people. And then my friend's like, yes, yeah, fucked up. And you're like, yeah, it is. So it's both. It, yeah. It's still a funny movie. <clears throat> and that scene is fucked up. And it was not meant to be fucked up, but it wasn't thoughtful. Someone calling me, you know, some like fat clown or something, or like they're making some joke about me. They're just being funny, but they don't realize it like hurts me very much and very right. deeply, you know. And so it's hard to delineate that kind of stuff. I'm saying it's a it's a little it is it's not so black and white. Like everything, it's not so black and white. There's gray and there's textured all of it, you know. Well, and I think if somebody's doing it in 2018, when we have a little more knowledge about stuff, then mm -hmm. that's a different story. I don't like going backwards. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually interesting because my little sister, Beanie Feldstein, who's like the illest actress ever, shout out to Beanie. She's in <laughs> Lady Bird. She's killing it. Yeah. Um, she's like, you know, she's the OG when it comes to like feminism, privilege. Like she schools me constantly, right? Yeah. And it's really cool to hear because she doesn't, A, she doesn't like put me down like I'm a moron if I don't get something. And she tries to teach me in a positive way, right? right? But it is really things you don't think about are fucked up to other people. You know, a joke, you might make a joke or Howard might make a joke about like making fun of me on the air when I'm not there or something and it might kill me, you know? Like it might actually make me like depressed for two weeks, right? right? But he's just like, hey, that's a joke. I'm just making a joke. It's all love. You know what I mean? It's like people hurt people without thinking about it. So I do think sensitivity is a good thing but it's also just layered. You know what I mean? It's just more complex than we than we could just call it on either side. You know? Howard is immune from all of this. It's amazing. I was he driving, is immune from all of it, but he also changed. He also changed in a lot did, of but ways. He still gets away with a lot. I was driving around two weeks ago and he was Prince. Some Prince's estate had sold his song to some <laughs> terrible ad. And Howard was having so much fun with it because Prince was like, don't do anything with my likeness. I'm going to change my name. Like you can't do any, wouldn't yeah. sell out in any way. And now his estate is selling. And Howard was so funny for five minutes, just making fun of this. And I was like, he's the only person who could do this. He could. And you know, what's actually kind of weird is like, he's, I'm going on a show next week. He's more sensitive than anybody. Oh, God, if someone yeah. made fun of him, he would be so hurt. And I kind of hope we get to talk about that on the show because to me, there's this whole male and like, look, I'm not a sports bro. I don't, I, I, I'm not like, you know, I'm a sensitive dude and I'm not a sports dude. And some of your audience I know might murder me, but like, for me, like I am a sensitive person. If there is this male machismo thing of like, you can't say something hurts your feelings. You can't say right. like, you're called a pussy if you're like something hurts, but like all the damage that people do, especially men, especially what we're seeing probably comes from being hurt and being too uh, proud or um, like overly masculine to be like, yeah, that shit. I don't like the way that feels. You well, know you what had I that, mean? that one time you came out and all of a sudden you lost a ton of weight and people went nuts and you had to have been aware of that. Right. I think my whole career, I made this zine that I hope people check out with a 24. That's kind of about, it's called inner children. I interview everyone from like, Q-Tip and DJ Premier, Mark Gonzalez, Kim Gordon, Raymond Pettibon, uh, 
you know, tons of different people, Michael, Sarah, my yeah. sister. Um, and it basically is just about how like, I think everyone has a snapshot of themselves, no matter no matter what it is, right? Mine is like, I'm this 14 year old overweight kid who wants to fit in with skaters and and no matter what success I would achieve or how I looked, whatever, I think you carry that with you, right? Yeah. And I think, and, and what I found was everyone's was different and it existed in everybody and it would be shit you would not even, you couldn't even comprehend if you looked at someone, you know yeah. what I mean? Like DJ Premier's or Q-Tips or Edie Falco's, like they're all different, you know? Um, but my point is, is like, man, like that is my part. That's why I never connected to sports in a big way because I didn't like being made fun of so much. And comedy was hard for me because it fucking sucks. Like you don't want to be hurt all the time. Like then you feel like you have to be mean in response to be defensive. Right. And I, and I want to be nice. Like I literally just want to make movies and be a happy, nice person. And I felt like I was always on the defense or the attack in comedy because it's like people are just supposed to be mean to each other and it's it i'm too sensitive for it you know what you did know? a really nice job at hitting that is uh funny people yeah that movie's first, cool that that movie's on Judd a lot killed it. yeah the first like hour 10 minutes of that just when it really dives into sandler and the comedy scene and these young kind it's really it's, it's but way, it's way anywhere man you've been on sports teams you've worked oh, yeah, in sports yeah. like you know whether it's like it's anything in life. I think we are getting to a point in a cool way, just as it's a hard way for certain things. It's a cool way of like, yeah, man, I'm going to be exactly who I am. You know, like I may be this kid from super bad that you like want to be this certain thing. And I love that movie. And I love making that movie, but I'm 34 years old and now I'm starting to make movies on my own. And I'm not trying to have anyone tell me like who I'm ever going to be for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? I could have a lot easier time making this movie, like a broad comedy which I love, like my favorite movies, like coming to America, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, or I love super bad, like besides like Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street, super bad. And this is the end or like my favorite movies I've ever acted in, you know? So to me, it's just, I really think it's cool. If you're a young kid and you're listening to this, I think it's cool that I'm like just out here getting to be myself. Like, I don't really feel like I have to be any other kind of thing. Even talking to you, I was intimidated to come in here because when I was on your show last time, I was in a different headspace. No, we killed it last time. I know, but I still felt like I'm talking to this like adult guy who has his own show and he's like this like sports guy and like blah, blah, blah. And what if he says something that like I get offended by in my heart and then I like have to like get defensive, you know, like it's insecurity, you know? And it's like, as long as you know, you're coming from the right place like you don't have to feel that, or you can talk about shit. You don't have to be insecure like that. And I think it's a very freeing thing. And I think making this movie really helped me to get there. I do think it's that times are changing though. And I think there was definitely a bully culture with the internet Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, you talk about like the Gawker type blogs and, Mm -hmm. um, the first five, six years of Twitter and it was a lot of like gotcha stuff and mm. just people people being like unusually mean. And I think, you know, the last two years, given who, who not to get all political, but we had a president who's basically is a bully as part of his routine. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and I think the bullying stuff just seemed to resonate differently after that when you saw somebody who's in charge of the country who's like, I'm just going to bully people every once in a while. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's shifted 
how people behave and act now. Because I do think we're entering some sort of nicer era. I really hope so. Just because I hope so. Anyway. I hope so. Just because no one wants anyone who's being mean feels bad afterwards because they're like, shit, that came from a place of hurt. Yeah. And no one wants to be mean. Someone be mean to them. Right. So it's like, I don't know. I definitely grew up in skating. I grew up in comedy. I grew up in like all the cultures that are like kill or be killed. Yeah. Right. Don't be a pussy. Don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I don't, I can't survive living like that. You know what but I at mean? At the same time though, you were, that whole crew that you had of all those young guys, like kind of, I don't know what the word is it, but like the kind of Apatow generation, of uh-huh. whatever, like that was pretty fortunate. Like some of the people you crossed paths with were unusually talented. Fuck yeah. Um, I wasn't a comment I think that was there. a good thing. You guys were pulling, no, I'm saying you guys were all pulling for each other and it seemed yeah. like, that seemed pretty rare. For sure. I mean, dude, I, I've had the most charmed like walk through entertainment on the creative side and the- Cause I don't even know lessons what it, I've learned, like, like education I've gotten, yeah. whether it's from Judd or Seth and Evan, like people like that, or Ben and Miller or Spike, or it just kept going of, of really cool people to learn from. And for me, I don't know about you. I see, I think you seem pretty studious cause the way you love movies, the way you love yeah, sports. Yeah. The way, to me, it's like, it's just educational. Like you just, if you want it, you get this you can devour knowledge of how to make the things you end up wanting to make. Do you think all the people were uniquely talented and just happened to be together or the, the fact that you were all together made everybody more talented? Uh, no, I think Judd just over and over again, like just a lot knows of people, how to find he's just a great talent scout. Yeah. He, he's very talented himself and he's great at seeing talent in other people. Um, you know, with this movie, a big part of making my first movies, I wanted to work with non-actors or first time actors yeah. because I was given that opportunity early on in life. And like, it's been so cool to like see these kids become actors through making the movie and see them like approach it so ferociously and so um, seriously, which I would say was the common thread. If you look at like me, Seth, Jason Siegel, all those people, you know, like it was, we all were like hyped to get to learn and take it seriously. Right. You know, and well, I definitely think as the years pass, it, becomes more unique because like right now there's no little generation of that when i did the podcast with damon we but were there talking is about no, those. like 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 gerard bo burnham there and it's what's cool it's like they're creators you True. know what i mean like to me those kids inspired me like donald glover like i don't know how he maybe he's my age i don't know if he's, he's probably younger than me because yeah, you're is right now. that is kind of its own generation it is but like the Don- multi-platform kind of donald was a huge inspiration to me like he got me off my ass. So did Damien Chazelle, like kind of people yeah. that were younger than me starting to create things. I was like in other people's shit and complaining that like, I wasn't able to like have my own voice. Right. Right. So it's like, no, put in four years and make a movie, like get off your ass, yeah. you know, like if I can do it in my room, so can you, you know, like I do find that shit inspirational. Donald was sick of playing like eighth banana for like, you know, right. no good parts for young black men. And then he creates a show that gives him a huge platform to have a voice. Right. And for me, I'm not in that scenario and that's not my story, but at the same time, he inspired me to be like, yo, if you got something to say, go start your career, stop saying you want to be a filmmaker and go do it. You we know? had Damien Chazelle a couple of days ago, right on that couch. Gr- I don't know him. I never met him. He's only him. 33. We were trying to talk him into doing Fast and Furious 11, like just sell out completely. <sighs> 
Makes you know, we're in a world right now where he could just totally go do that. Yeah. And no one would shit on him. You know, that's like a big just thing. Take one check. Why not? Just bang man? it out, man. Come on, dude. Do your version. The Fast way I 11. view it, I view it very differently because of these kids I've been working with too. It's like 90s was all like, if you sold out once, right? Yeah, you're done. You're dead. Yeah. Right. So these kids, I'm like, yeah, well, Mob Deep never sold out. And they're like, yeah, Mob Deep like lives in like a one bedroom apartment. Right. These kids are like, we don't give a fuck. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's tight that Migos is on a song with Katy Perry. Like they don't, they don't have judgment like that. So for me, the way I view it is I view commercials as a way that now we live in a world where someone who is a good artist can do commercials yeah. and then make art. Right, so or I think bands that, can sell their songs to a commercial. Twenty years ago, you, I would you would take get that, shit like, on for doing yeah. that. Yeah, you'd be it's like, bad. "What are you doing?" And for me, I'd rather have Damien Chazelle be in a Samsung commercial or direct a Samsung commercial and get to make his art. Yeah, than to make Fast and Furious Eleven. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, I was always kidding myself that it was this middle ground. And to me, it's not. Like, I work at A24 now, and I spent 10 years at Sony. I was basically like Mickey Rooney. Yeah. I was like <laughs> the little, like, dancing boy over at Sony. <laughs> and, like, they're kind of, like, you're trying to kid yourself that they're these, like, things that are based in art, but it's commerce. You know what I mean? And A24 is a place that supports filmmakers, supports art, supports film. And to me, I'd rather be in, like, a commercial and then make a film that actually represents my taste. You know? Have them be very black and white in that way, you right. know? The, mo the most interesting movie you made, I thought, um, just career-wise, was when you were Moneyball, because I wasn't expecting that. And I think if you hadn't done that when you did it, maybe one more year, you're just typecast as the comedy guy. Yeah. And I don't know if you get out of it. I don't know if the audience accepts it at that point. But, but you, man, you, you did it early enough where it was like, oh, oh, so he's actually an actor. Okay, I get but it. But I still do a drama now. And they're like, out of left field, Jonah Hill. And it's like, I it works in my favor, honestly, like because it like always seems to surprise people. But to me, if you even look, now you've done like how many like I'll do Gus Van Zandt movie and then like they, like that gets good reviews <laughs> and they're like, out of left field comes Jonah Hill in a drama, and I'm like, all right, man, cool. Um, but to me, it I it's not a like. Being funny is a part of who I am. Yeah. And when I'm comfortable and when I'm with my friends or I'm loose or I'm like with people and I'm happy, I love being funny. And when I felt I had to be funny all the time, it made me dark. Yeah. And I didn't like the way that felt. And I don't think I would have survived it. You know what I mean? So like to me, it was just important to fight to have to not be in a box. Like even as a filmmaker, it's like you're an actor. Oh, you're going to direct a movie? Or like you're a comedian. You're going to be in a drama. Oh, you're an actor. You're going to make a movie. Oh, you're, you made this kind of movie. You're going to make this kind of movie. It's like- Unfortunately, that's a huge part of having a long and good career is the choices. Well, but you we know We talked what? about that with Damien. It's like, did you have you thought about your next move? Like you're three for three right now. And he's like, yeah, I'd be lying if I hadn't. Like what's- do you study other directors in the course of, of course. what they've done? He's like, of course I do. Like yeah. you have to. It's it's chess. And it's also like, you can look at people's careers. You can literally like, if I want to look at Mike Nichols, who started as a comedian and was this amazing filmmaker his whole career, you can literally look at the choices they made at that time and see how they did certain things. Now, a lot of time it comes from the heart, which I want it to come from, yeah. no matter what I'm doing, acting, writing, directing. But there are things that if I had done two more comedies at the wrong time, maybe I would have never gotten the chance to be in Wolf of Wall Street or right. Moneyball or something, you know? Like, I don't know. 
But to me, I guess the way it feels is no one's sitting around thinking about me. <laughs> Everyone's busy with their own fucking lives. Like they don't care what I'm doing. They don't, right. they take one look at me and, and they you pop back up in their life and, and they stink whatever they think. Right. Yeah. The way I put it is, is like the best thing I ever heard in my life was true confidence is living in uncertainty. Right. And I think that's what I struggle with the most. I think a lot of people probably struggle with that is you get married, you want make sure you and your spouse are in love forever. You take a job, you want to make sure you keep getting promoted and you never get fired. You, you just want certainty. So for me, I'm this kid who comes out in super bad and I'm, I'm funny and I'm chubby, I have curly hair and I'm that in your head. In the one second of your life you've ever thought about me, I'm that thing. And the second I'm not, it's like, it's kind of like that Boston thing. Like, Oh, what you think you're fucking big time now? Oh, yeah. It's like literally oh, like Matt Damon. Yeah, like when I was listening to the Matt Damon interview, it was like you guys are killing me with that. And it's kind of oh, we, we've been doing that in the office for three weeks. The Boston people berating Robin and Williams. It's, it's so hey, funny. Hey, Mark, you think you're better than me? Yeah, and 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 that's cool. Like, yo, I get it. People have way bigger shit in their lives to think about than like me or my career, or who I am, or what I am. Or I get yeah. it. But to me, uh, I just took me a long time to love myself enough to be confident in who I am as a person. And for whatever reason, I just refuse to be in one box. I just like want to make the things I want to make because that makes me happy as a person. And I don't want to have to ever apologize for who I am. Yeah. Let's talk about my bookie. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, my bookie gives you the chance to create a big parlay, pick three teams to win. And if you hit all three, you'll turn a hundred into 600. You know what else it works for? The kind of girl who likes to bet a lot. The kind of woman that likes to bet a lot. Whatever whatever floats your boat, whoever you are, try my bookie. There's so much to bet on. Playoff baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. It's the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys. They've been in business for years. They've got great online reviews. Their mobile site is easy to use. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to join now because they'll be pulling that offer soon. Log on to my bookie right now. Double your money. Use promo code Bill Simmons. That's my name, Bill Simmons. And they'll match your first deposit a hundred percent. That's promo code Bill Simmons. You play, you win, you get paid. And speaking of getting paid, the duffel bag boys are back in town. One Shining Podcast, college basketball's heating up, and there is a little tour. Nephew Kyle, where are we going the first three cities? The first three cities, I just we just booked my travel today, so I'm hyped about it. So the first one is going to be uh, Columbus, and then we're going to Indiana, Bloom- Bloomington. Bloomington, Indiana, and then we're going to- Louisville, uh, right? Louisville, Kentucky, yeah. So that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's the first full weekend in November? Yeah. Yeah. Tickets still available. Chicago sold out. But I think there are a couple tickets left for those other cities. You can see Tate Frazier, Mark Titus, uh, two men of the people. Titus will be in rare form in Columbus, I'm sure. Titus will be in rare form in Columbus. There's going to be special guests. Two people who love college basketball, who live and exist outside the bubbles of the East Coast and the West Coast. Truly. They're men of the people. Uh, but check that out. If you, want to, um, if you want to buy tickets for any of those shows, at One Shining Pod is the Twitter feed. We love this pod so much that nephew Kyle, uh, we made him get a tattoo. Oh no, we didn't make him do anything at all. No. He just did it. He showed up with a tattoo one day. Anyway, check it out at One Shining Pod if you're interested in seeing 
the fellas out on town. All right, back to the pot. Quick nerdy directing stuff. What'd yeah. you learn from Scorsese? So much, man. So much. What was number one lesson? Because I know at that point you're thinking about directing. So you're yeah. watching, you're kind of soaking in shit he's doing. Number one lesson I would say is like, and I would do this with the kids in mid nineties all the time, which is sometimes you'd be talking to me or telling me like this long story. And I'd be like, what does this have to do with anything? Yeah. And he was really talking to me about the scene we're about to shoot, but he was just telling me a story from his life. And I didn't realize till like way later, he was talking to me, he was telling me that story for a reason. And I did that a lot with the kids because the you kind of got to hide the fact that you're making a movie from these kids, even though they became so such good actors and they didn't improvise, even though I wanted them to. They wanted to memorize the script to become these people. But if so I gave was, them something too deliberately, they'd do it too deliberately. So he was trying to knock you out of... No, he's trying to give me the note without deliberately right. giving me the note. So I'm not thinking about exactly how I'm going to deliver what he wants. So he's telling me a story that expresses the same thought or idea without saying it to me so deliberately. Because if he said it deliberately, then it's in your head that you're just it's like rattling off his instructions. Take two for steps left, take yeah. two steps. You know, it's like That's it, really interesting. It was amazing. And it, it really, it really helped. It helped get these kids in a place where it felt like we're just talking. We're just shooting the shit. So you have like seven pounds of cocaine in front of you. And he's like, let me tell you a story about <laughs> the Rolling Stones. When I lived with Robbie Robertson. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Jagger, he leaned forward too far. And then he just walks away. And you're Essentially, like, okay. but more, less literal about actions and more about like the way something feels, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's like, and I imagine that's like being a father. You know, I'm not a father yet. I have nephews, but like sometimes when I'm trying to talk to my nephews about something, I won't, you know, let's say like their mom will hit me up like, oh, you know, a kid was mean to him at school. I won't say like, I heard a kid was mean to you at school. I'll say like, you know, when I was in sixth grade, like this kid did this kind of thing and it really bummed me out. And that gets them talking about something, right? right, right so right. it's like, you don't put them on the spot. You're sort of just opening up and letting them come to you with so their you problems. you know how to parent. This is how to parent. I well, do I'm this not, with my kids all the time. Yeah, and that's kind of what directing is. You can't bring up exactly what you want to find out. You have to they'll call you stick around it. it. And they'll be embarrassed yeah. and they'll be whatever. And so the kid, directing kids is kind of the same way. It's like, they get self-conscious, right? So like, you don't want to be like, hey, you know, you're, you're doing too much. You're touching your face too much in yeah. the scene, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you got to be like, I was making super bad. And I remember I like, I kept like wiping my brow with my hand. And I remember like, like afterwards, like Greg Matola was like a couple of days, like, oh, I wish I hadn't done it as much. I didn't listen to him, but I wish I hadn't done it as yeah, much. Yeah. You know? Oh, cool. And you just kind of get them thinking on their own wave. Quick, uh, quick know. aside. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally yeah. makes sense. Um, just because I didn't want to forget to say this. The lead actor in this movie. Sonny Solchik, yeah. So he's really good. At skating? I, no, just in oh, general. Acting, yeah. like I'm, I'm, He kind of draws you in and and- Initially, he's just kind of dumb and happy, but then there's this other side that comes out. Um, were you scared about not being able to find the right actor for that part? Because I honestly don't know if the movie works as well if that actor's not good. All the kids were the make or break, right? Like Nikhil he almost Smith, had to go five for five. Yeah, if there's one weak link in there, you're fucked. Because uh, first of all, Sonny's amazing. He, he was really good. He was 11 when we shot and I'm 34 and I've never had to strap a movie to my back and like walk across the field. Oh my like, God. you know, he was 11. So he's truly a genius. He's like a savant. He's just this brilliant actor. And he'd and never done a movie before. He'd done one movie. He was, in, but I found him at a skate park and I was like, you ever think about acting? He's like, man, I was just in some fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> this guy, Yorgos Lathamos. And I was like, 
Yorgos Lathamos, the guy did the lobster. He's like, yeah. He's like, Killing of a Sacred Deer, fucking Nicole Kimmons in it and shit. And I was I like, I saw that movie. Yeah, he's amazing. He's the little he kid. Was in that? He's the younger kid. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize. And so I called Yorgos, the director, and I was like, what's up with this kid, Sonny? And he's like, he's a genius. Hire him. He's amazing. And he was really generous. And Sonny was just brilliant. He, he came in, did the scene where he yells at his mom, which is like one of the most gnarly scenes. Yeah. And everyone just like was quiet. You know, it wasn't like a kid actor. It was right. like, so I knew I was going to cast skaters and turn them into actors because that's the mistake everybody makes is you, you cast actors and try and have them fake being skateboarders and it's always corny. And Where'd you find the black kid that was the best skater out of all of them? Because uh, I thought he was great. His I actually feel like he's going to be a star. He he He's like blowing up from the He's going to be a thing, I it's think. It's really exciting. Yeah, he's like the breakout of the movie. His name is Nikhil Smith. And he rides for Supreme. Like he's one of the best professional skateboarders. He had never acted, never thought about acting. And now he's the star of Fast Eleven. And now he's by yeah. Damien Chazelle. <laughs> by da- he's in Damien Chazelle's Fast he's Eleven. Replacing uh, Vin Diesel. <laughs> Yo, um, yeah, he was really good. But Nikel is amazing. And same thing. It's like the harder part with like Lucas Hedges and Catherine Watterson who are in the film. You know, it, the challenge of this is like you need to bring actors. It's their movie. It's the kids' movie. Yeah. So actors, no matter how brilliant they are, are actors. They've been in a million things. And it's like, you're playing their game. So wherever they are is where you go to. You guys got to be in the same film. They're not right. going up to your like style of acting. You're going to their reality because these kids have an inability to bullshit, you know? And so that brings real actors or, or, or multiple act, you know, actors that have acted for their whole lives to a more realistic place than they would ever have to go because usually the tone of a movie is just more elevated, you know? But these kids were so special. And with Sonny, I knew I was going to cast a confident kid and reverse him to meekness at the beginning of the film because I knew I couldn't cast a meek kid and have him fake confidence. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that makes sense. And he's like the smallest person you've ever seen in your entire life. Like he had exactly what I was looking for where he was like really young looking for his age, but he was like 10 feet tall inside. And actually the, the only challenge was his older brother's abusive play by Lucas Hedges was getting... Lucas is this really sweet, sensitive guy. The only way to shoot those scenes for real and have them be as visceral as you want is, you know, Sonny's a skateboarder. He falls down 10 stairs every day. And I was like, are you down to just do it for real? And he's like, he's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> he was so hyped. But Lucas. He didn't want to do it. He was too yeah. like upset to hurt Sonny. And it was harder to get Lucas to hurt Sonny than for Sonny to want to do it. You know? So you're like, Sonny, can you just insult Lucas until he gets mad? I was just like, I don't know. Because the only reason I cast Luke is because if you cast someone who reads as like an abusive asshole in the older brother part, it's like so stock 80s lame, right? Like just mean older brother. You're going to play Chet in Weird Science. It, that's yeah. literally what I would say all the time. I was like, we can't have Chet in like Weird Science. Well, I love Chet in Weird Science, but it's a <laughs> different too. film, different film. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was like, if you cast someone who's really sensitive and big hearted, underneath like a veneer of abuse and anger, you're going to really empathize with this person. And that was important to me. So what, so what's next? Next is, I are think, are you going to like direct more? Or are you going to be like, go back and forth and direct some? Cause you're, you're clearly a director. This movie was really good. I really you, enjoyed it. That really means a it lot. It was really to me. good. I, I know um, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't well, that, what, say it if you didn't mean it. I always judge this shit by, did it stand out? Was it, you know, was it well done, obviously, but also like, is it just memorable? Am I going to remember the experience of it? Was it like other things I've seen? There was a bunch of different touches in it that were just different. And that made me think like, oh shit, Jonah's actually a director. That really means like, a lot to me. he can do this. 
Now I watch mean, you're gonna do some rom com next. <laughs> Completely sell out. <laughs> I'm directing Damien Chazelle in his first acting role in Fast and Furious. <laughs> uh, him in the Rock. Scarlett Johansson is too busy for love. <laughs> no, I think I could. meets Brad Pitt. I could have made uh, literally a billion choices to make my first film easier, and I yeah, did. Yeah. It's just like to me, as I was saying, I was trying to delineate. I'm trying to delineate like how you pay the rent versus how you make things that matter to you. Cause in our world, they don't really overlap that much anymore. You know? Yeah. Back in the day, you look at like Mike Nichols was probably getting paid like mad money to direct. Like, or Barry Levinson was getting paid like lots of money to direct like the natural or something. You know, it's like, not that I'm ever going to be like that, but those are my heroes. Right. Well, so but the reality is the way the movie industry is going, like Damon and I, we talked about in the pod about how the 15 to 70 million movie is basically going away and yeah. you have to get super creative with how you make them. And, you know, it has to be either a filmmaker who brings some cachet to him mm -hmm. or you just have to money ball it, no pun intended. Yeah, but, um, but he's right. Hard. He's right. But thank God for places like A24, man, right. because they support real filmmakers. They support, I shot my movie on Super 16, like, yeah. In four by three aspect and ratio. It's in, yeah, it's it's the square format, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I thought that was just the screener they sent me. And then, it, then no. I realized that was probably how you intended it. Yeah, it was it was deliberate. And I love and I love that, you know, they let me do stuff like that. Yeah. You know? And to me, I don't know what's next. I'm gonna start writing some. I have my next movie I'm gonna write, but I just wanna make things that actually represent my taste and what I care about, what I mean something to me. You well, know? how you, whether that's you, an actor, whether that's a director, whether it's a writer. Did you graduate from Crossroads? I did. Yeah. How, how many good things do you have to do to supplant Baron Davis, Austin Crozier, and Kate Hudson as the Crossroads the person? The go-to Crossroads. Have I? No, I don't know. How, what do you, what else do you have to do? <laughs> I don't think I have, dude. They have, they, <laughs> Baron and Crozier have retired jerseys up in the I gym. Know. Like they, they should retire like you holding like a director's card or, or Man, card or something. that would be, that would be amazing. I don't know. You know, the one thing I will say is like, I was definitely, yo, I was like a skater with like blue hair and did a lot of drugs. And, In crossroads? Like, yeah. and I was just like, you know, like a very artsy kid, a really sensitive kid, a really kid who got in a lot of trouble. And that school was cool, man. They, they, they celebrated, uh, like the things I was good at, like writing, basically yeah. writing. That they've celebrated that I could write, and that's pretty dope, you know. My, that's one it's of very the, untraditional. I think my daughter wants to go there next year. That's why I brought up the crossroads <laughs> thing. If you need a letter, bro, let me. I might, let me I might know. have to hit you up. I'm the letter. I'm the letter whisperer. LeBron is a crossroads parent, so that's it's that's crazy. Cause, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know, man. I live in New York. I don't have kids. I I look forward to the time when I have kids. It's a hard. It's a. If you're so in you, entertainment, you live like in New York, not here. I live in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I live Any in reason? Um, yeah, basically like five, before, right before I started, as I was writing mid nineties actually is when I moved, when I started four years ago, because. Cause you grew up here and you were here like your whole childhood. I was here my whole life. Yo, like uh, when you're here in LA, right. And you work in the entertainment business. Um, there's a lot of pressure to do bigger, flashier things. Yeah. Like, you know, you're around someone and they make you feel insecure because you're like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm writing a movie starring Nikel Smith and Sonny Solchik for 824 right. <laughs> for the next four years. And they're like, cool, I'm directing Transformers. It's all yeah. good, you know? And it's like, <laughs> you know, for me, it, it like gets in you. I'm I'm yeah. I'm not I I I have to protect myself because it, I needed some space. I need space to kind of understand what I really want to make and why I really want to make it and not to be impressive or to impress people or 
You, know, you go to New York City, everyone's just walking with their AirPods on, just silent robots passing. It's a great place to, the to ruminate on a film. Off. Yeah. But to ruminate on a film for four years, it's a great place to go walk around. And when I edit, like, you know, just cruise around the block. It's like, it's a great place. And then also like a lot of the filmmakers I that are mentors of mine or people I really look up to live in New York, you know, like the Coen brothers or Ben and Miller, Spike Jones, oh, you did Scorsese. Ben, ben Miller did Moneyball, right? He did Moneyball. What you learn from him? So much, so much, man. Him, Spike, and Gus Van Zandt signed my DGA certificate. So those are like the really? three people I've like, I, I lean on a lot, you know? They're really, um, and you realize films are made by committee. Like when they screen their films, I'm always there like giving notes or on scripts. It's yeah. like films are made by community. And you trust like your eight to 12 people. Yeah, you have people you go for. And I've been lucky enough, like, you know, not in, a, in any way of just, it's the truth. It's like, I've been one of those people for people for a long time. Yeah. And, and I finally felt like I had enough, A, um, emotional maturity to lead people and B, confidence enough to have my own voice and not just try and bite other people's shit. So I waited until, you know, I'd been helping people with movies for a long time and I was really excited to just finally get to make my own. I always wanted to be one of the- You could come watch a cut of my 12. next movie. No, I, yeah, I was wanting to crack that group where it's like, hey man, I'm screening- you're not in with me though. You, you could come. To, I, I'd yeah. be honored Nancy to have you. Kyle in my next is the only one. He he. You made a movie? No, no. He just <laughs> texts me and he's like, "Should I, should I break up with my girlfriend?" Right? That's the only counsel I give. You're yeah. in the focus group yeah. of like relationship <laughs> you know advice. Essentially, <laughs> did you break? Did no, you guys break uh, up they, or no? They, it's a tough. Guy. I did. He doesn't believe me, but it's just he's getting there's, bad info. He's getting bad info. Okay. He disappeared on Saturday, and we're unclear where where he what was. What happened? Yeah, yeah we, they, that's the worst. I've been one of those where it's like, um, uh, your friends are all like, "Yeah, he's still." He's still seeing her. And you're you like, you know no, what no, I mean? No, no, and I have girlfriends who are like, yeah, she's still seeing him. You know, it's like, and you all, everyone in your life knows, knows you shouldn't. And yeah. you, but you, it's a surprise party for one that everyone knows. I'm like, how'd you know? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, dude, because you're still miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate it. Because you're not smiling the same as you weren't for the past year. Because yeah, you look sad and you have bags you under your eyes. dead inside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, good luck with this. Thanks, man. I hope, it, you, I hope you do the whole award circuit and the whole thing. You know what, man? It's the, cool. I hope it makes reward, money. When does it come out? It comes out Friday, mid-90s, comes out Friday in LA and New York, and then next Friday, the 26th, nationwide. But truly, when I say this, like, talking to you and having you say the things you say about it or speak about it the way you speak about it, those are the kinds of things that you, like, take away from an experience ah, like I this. I appreciate that. And Well, you had me at Wave of Mutilation. <laughs> <laughs> that was the pixies. I, was like, I just, I just, Jonah, man, he gets it. He gets, he gets me. <laughs> what about the Kanye sample? Where was that? Okay, when he falls off the roof, like the crane. Oh. It's in the trailer. We, the Black Slaves sample. The end of Black Slaves is the sample we we use the sample from the song that he used. There was like I should have written down. I should have written down all the all my thoughts on the music. I'd say, is there a Spotify playlist yet? That somebody so we do did it? the first official. Uh, Movie I go soundtrack Spotify playlist. I'm gonna email you my thoughts. So it's I would on love there. That. Yeah, and we did the thing, and then I'm gonna end up releasing the 200 song like master ones that didn't make it into the movie, but just like the kind of master. It was so many I couldn't like keep track, but the a lot of but with the mutilation, you actually like you you rode that one. That was like that a was like a, a, a montage. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? Like the whole joy, and for people, and and you know what? Everyone at the Ringer for real, like Sean, everybody who I've I've like gotten the chance to hang out with and talk to about this film. Like, well, we're kind of the audience for it. You are the audience. If the for ringer it. likes this movie, it's a good thing because I mean, yeah. I mean, you guys have been so supportive, but for real, like to me, 
I am 34. I hope to get to make more movies because the things I care about are things that are not when I was younger starting out in movies weren't celebrated in films like right. hip hop, like yeah. the, the culture that I come from and that I love. And so for me, the whole joy would just be to be to get to make more films. It'd be amazing. That's all I want. I mean, this is a site where we debate the basketball scenes in Above the Rim for <laughs> great for movie soundtrack. Two, three straight. One, great, of, the, one, one of the OG one of the great all time. Is it regulators soundtrack. on that? I oh, but I'll never. Big Pimpin' never made it as like a major hit, and I'll never understand it. Yeah, above, the, I got to rewatch it. Oh yeah, big. Wow. There, there's a whole bunch of. Uh, What's another classic one? I mean, hip hop. That's like the classic hip hop one. Maybe. Oh, Deep Cover was pretty big because that was when Dre and Snoop first were on a song. And Tupac's on it too. Yeah, Tupac's um, on it. But uh, the Above the Rim run was. Legendary. I think one of the great hip hop soundtracks. And that's what we were trying to do basically with this thing is like, we were going to sign a record deal and put it out. Cause it's like this, people love the soundtrack when they yeah, were sees the to. movie, but we did, what was cool is we, I made it on Spotify when I was making yeah. the movie. So we just did it with Spotify. It's like, people are going to go and be like, Oh, you can listen to the mid nineties soundtrack moment for moment. And Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score. Also, we should talk about that, which is dope. Well, that score was great. So yeah. those guys, they just, they just go from movie to movie and make great scores, and they, they're just like, I did not. Think they never we were run get out them. of this shit. We screened the movie for them, and they were like, "We don't have money." I was like, "We don't have money," and they're like, "We love the movie. We want to do it." I was like, "This is the coolest thing that anyone's ever said to me." And my whole thing on them was like, you know, my favorite score, my favorite modern score is the, the Social Network score. Yeah, which in my opinion, which is their score, and in my opinion, it's about that movie and that score is about like coldness. Yeah. And so my idea to them, he's like, what do you want? And I was like, I want to hear your perverse take on warmth. And what they did ended up being really effective. I, I still listen oh, that's to cool. it. It's cool. Yeah. You weren't in the social network, right? No, it but actually like low key, because you were talking about your Matt Damon thing. Yeah. Low key, David Fincher or high key, David Fincher didn't want me in social network. I was up. It was between me and Justin Timberlake for that part. Oh. And David Fincher this was, I guess, what, 12, 10 years this ago? This is unbelievable information. I wish we knew this I have a bunch of cool ones. Like, I, have, I have cool ones like that. But Fincher, I've only met him once or twice. He was super like, nice. fuck you, Fincher. No, no, no. I, I, like, honestly, he's <laughs> he's the man, obviously. But, like, he was not having me. Like, the studio wanted me, I think. And then Justin Timberlake was amazing. In it. But that's you- the only one out of my whole career that I'm like, you know how, like, Damon was talking about, uh, uh, what was he talking about Chris O'Donnell or people that are kind of blowing up right before you? Yeah, what was the one he didn't get? Uh, Primal Fear. What Primal he was saying, Fear like Primal Fear was yeah, so everyone me, in town went for it. My era, like my people like that, so it'd be, which has actually been kind of a cool time because it'd be Shia LaBeouf would get the part, get offered the part, just like Jews basically. So Shia LaBeouf would like <laughs> get the part. Jesse Eisenberg would get it if he didn't, if he turned it down. And then me and Paul Dano would fight for the scraps. So like me and Paul oh, Dano always hilarious. have this great like camaraderie. We're friends and like, because it was like Paul Dano and I would fight for like the Jesse Eisenberg, Shia LaBeouf scraps that they didn't want. So like Squid and the Whale. Oh, everybody went in on that. Everybody, for me, it was, um, what was like that, that Project Greenlight Shia LaBeouf Movie. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the Shaker Heights. Better that was Shaker a big Heights. one. And Emil yeah. Hirsch, he was like the indie darling then. I wasn't obviously in that realm. He was even, but Shia was the one. Like everyone was like, dude, if I could have Shia LaBeouf's career, that's crazy. And actually, like, turns out history was like to me, he's like the coolest. Like he still is epic. You know, he keep, he keeps us on our toes. I can't. I bet you that movie he makes with Lucas Hedges that where it's him and Lucas Hedges about his life. It's like something he just made. I bet you that's gonna be a banger. 
Like I would keep my eye on him. He's he's someone I I I think is a really good actor. Did you audition for Little Miss Sunshine? Mm, I can't remember if I I must have I must have auditioned for Little. That was like the era. Like it was like what um, was another fork in the oh, road? Girl that you Next didn't Door. Get? Girl next door. Um, what was do wait? I have so many good ones, but Social Network was the one that I actually was like years later was like fuck, like I'm so bummed. You know, you would have played it differently too than Timberlake did, right? He because he, he played it more like big life of the party celebrity, but that that's not actually what Sean Parker was like. I think he like invented a version uh, of him. Whatever he did, US. it was great. That movie's like it was to me, cool. That's it like the very best movie. Is like the that's like the best. That's a movie I watched probably well, we like say, on a loop. Like when we you did can watch re, that movie anytime. We did the rewatchables, and we decided that that was easily the best movie of the decade. Wow! Like all the the rewatchability of it, how good it was when it came out, how original it was. Of course, all yeah. the fucking the CGI that was three years ahead of its time with Army Hammer. Oh my god! Uh, just the fact that. That's the one you could watch off. anytime. It's yeah. almost like Goodfellas jump kind of in. or something. Well, Goodfellas is on all the time and I keep watching it. And it's the same thing. It's like, ah, all right, he's going to beat up the guy across the street. All right, I'll stay. I kind of go like uh, uh, Casino. Casino's another good one. It's another like one and it doesn't get, because of Goodfellas, because they were like close together too or close. something. It was like four years apart. But Casino's so dope. It's so good. Goodfellas actually makes you feel like you did cocaine by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think in rehab, I'm just sweaty and jumpy. I mean, like that, I would definitely exhaust. I was like, I would just sometimes like, I would kind of push it to the limits with my Goodfellas questions with Scorsese of like, uh, how you, far you can dole I go? It out? Well, I would just be like, if like someone broke the seal, I'd have like eight questions for that day, but I wouldn't break the seal. I'd kind of wait for your, someone else to break the seal. What was your I, number one question? Oh my God, it's so many questions. But mostly how they shot the scene. Um, obviously the the Warner and the Copacabana. I also was interested in how um, they shot the, you know, like, you think I'm a clown? Yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. Of stuff because it's really simply shot and you can hear Scorsese laughing over it. Like he's just laughing so hard that you can like literally hear him laughing. Oh, in the actual. Yeah. Like he's just like, he's like, I just couldn't stop laughing. Like when he likes something, he laughs. So even if it's like dark and he likes it, he laughs cause he's just happy. So I thought that was really, I always found that really sweet and cool. You know? Do you think De Niro when he was like, no, no, over there, it's a little more. No, 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 no. You know what's so dresses. funny? You so think, do you think those guys were killing her or no? Were they going to? Yeah. Yeah, I think he was trying to, I think he was trying to get Or was her. she being overly scared no, I, and I, whatever? I mean, I guess it's up for interpretation, but my, my interpretation I'm in was that- I mean, he was trying to kill her camp. You think he was? I think he was. Yeah, me too, for sure. But I don't think it's- But certain. I always do that. Like, that's one of those gestures yeah, no, no, you can't no, see no. at home, but like, yeah. I always do that with my friends where I'm like, no, 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 right there. <laughs> no, no, back, back, back. <laughs> it yeah. is a classic. Well, if we ever do the Goodfellas rewatchables, we might have to drag you into it. It's just such a great. I love. I mean, like, not even on your jock. Just like I love the ringer. Like, I. Oh, I, thanks, I man. I think you guys are doing such an amazing job, and it We're just trying. Uh, things like that. Yeah, they are. It does feel like a generation. I don't know. It's kind of cool. Like, I feel like, I guess I'm getting of the age people are starting to make things like in your mid 30s or something like that, right? Yeah, and so. It does feel kind of like people of my generation are starting to get to like author things. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. You Thank know? you. 
Well, yeah. I'm proud of you as well. So let's be proud of each other. Hell yeah. No. Thanks for no, having me. It's a great movie. Please go see it. Mid-90s uh, out in theaters on Friday. Thanks for coming up. Thanks again. This is great. All right, because we're back at my house late at night. I haven't had a chance to get my daughter in front of a microphone in more than a month. And people have been saying, where the hell is for realsies? Well, she's here. She's not prepared. I'm springing this on her. But since the last time she was on for realsies, that's a dog barking. We're fine. Since the last time you were on for realsies, your favorite movie ever came out. Yeah. A Star is Born. A Star is Born. <laughs> is this your number one? Yeah, for sure. Explain why. Um, I would say A Star is Born is my number one movie right now because it includes everything that I'm looking for in a movie, like that kind of romance essence as well as like the kind of fun like musical edge of it. And and a lead character who's handsome but is self-destructive. <laughs> yeah, and Lady Gaga screaming and punching things and breaking things. How did you feel about, um, yeah, stop kicking the table. How did you feel about Lady Gaga's singing in this movie? Um, I thought that even though she was playing a different character who wasn't herself, her singing kind of brought home like that Lady Gaga essence. And I liked that because I really like her singing on like a regular basis. And I think that this country type of rock thing that she was doing really worked out for her voice. And I really liked it. What do you think the movie was trying to say about pop music and some of which you like because initially it starts out and she's singing from the heart and she does that acapella thing in the parking lot and then goes on stage with him for the duet and then her career starts taking off. But then as he starts losing kind of his influence on her and she becomes a pop star leading to the terrible Saturday Night Live song. Do you think the movie was saying that pop music sucks? Or do you think the song she was singing in the movie happened to suck, but they didn't realize that the song sucked? I don't know if it's either of those um, assumptions. I kind of think that it was more of a situation where she was kind of, instead of following her heart and what she actually felt like she should be singing, what she felt like she loved to do. And originally that was um, that kind of like rock edgy singing that she did the duet with she kind of fell into what society wanted from her instead of what she actually wanted to be putting out there which was like the pop music and what people were into instead of bringing back something that would have kind of launched her career and made her more original that was basically what one of my two choices were i you didn't just really hear your it. choice you just, you just proved <laughs> that you don't listen to me yeah but your your explanation was like kind of vague no, I thought it was very concise, actually. I don't to think the it was. <laughs> um, the, uh, the best scene in that movie, I actually thought the first 45 minutes or so were fantastic. Yeah. Really, really, really great. And the best scene is when he pulled, for the parking lot scene's good, but that they released that in the show. But the scene when he's singing and then he's like, I'm going to pull you out there. And then he pulls her out and the way they did the camera and when they sang in the crowd. I thought that was one of the best seven minute scenes. Um, I can remember it a while. And I think it was a pretty flawed movie. We both left. We were like, man, why was that so depressing down the stretch? And there were things we would have changed. But sometimes like a moment makes a movie or a scene makes a movie. And I thought that 
that scene was so good. It almost vindicated the whole movie. And yeah. the reason I bring this up is eventually this is going to be available on Amazon or Apple or whatever, or it's going to be on cable. And I predict you watch this movie like 130 times. What's the over under? Um, I definitely will watch it maybe more than 50 times after it comes out and is it like accessible for me to get. Yeah. But um, I feel like the reason, one of the reasons why I enjoyed the movie so much is because like there was so much hype kind of leading up to it. The fact that it exceeded my expectation made it even more enjoyable for me. And I thought that because it exceeded my expectation, I almost was like kind of stunned by it because you were stunned and Ben was so stunned. He fell asleep for like 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> then rallied in time for, um, the, one of the sadder stretches of the movie, shall we say? Yeah. Ben's Ben's one word or one sentence review when we left the theater was that was sad. <laughs> Completely accurate. <laughs> if he did a movie review thing, it would just be these really short caveman one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Ben liked. <laughs> um. So, Starsborn, how many scale of one to ten? What is that? Like a nineteen. I could bring it up to like a, a 50. The other thing that's happened since the last time you did For Realsies for us is Netflix released the movie. What was it called? For All the Boys I Loved Before? She was, we Didn't we? That wasn't out when we last talked? No, you talked about how super excited you were for oh it. Oh my God. And we did the Instagram for it. And wow. um, that movie comes out. You've seen it, no exaggeration, what, seven times? 11. 11 times? 11 times. And you had high expectations. You'd read the book. Yeah. What um, what really pushed it over the top was there were two guys that not only you liked, but all your friends like, and yeah. now you're in this whole Instagram thing where you're following them and there's memes and like yeah. screen grabs of the different guys and uh -huh. um, you're just all in. Yeah. I mean- yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, why are you embarrassed? I'm not embarrassed because you completely hit it on the head. Like, that's literally what's happening. Everyone, by the way, I stand by Noah Centineo with, like, my entire heart. And so do all my friends, like, completely pro Noah Centineo. And I don't care if anyone calls me basic. I literally love him. I think he's awesome. So you're worried that there's been a little backlash because it's too easy to, like, Noah Centineo yeah. and... It kind of made me mad because I felt like I was one of the first people who knew about the movie and like was super excited to see it. And now everyone likes it and it makes me feel basic for liking it. Yeah. But I do really like it. And I felt like I was one of the first people to know about it. So it felt original. And now it kind of feels like, well, everyone likes it. So. So the last time you were in the pod, you described what the movie was about and how it hit a lot of a lot of your checklist things which include with you could tell people what was in the pot but the checklist things that it hit go oh um it included like a very dreamy character it um had that sense of like um a girl being desperate yeah um there was a list there were letters there wasn't a list this time actually there were letters um there were letters that got that got sent out. That yeah. got sent out and stolen. Yeah. 
that got sent out and stolen. You like when property gets stolen that wouldn't shouldn't <laughs> be stolen, but it's not like bad. It's like a letter. Yeah. I like that kind of like nervous, like, oh my God, that actually happened type of feeling. And I felt like Lara Jean had that, like a lot of it too. Did it bother you that the older sister in this movie was old enough to be the mom of the daughter? Okay, that, that was like the one thing that really bugged me the entire movie. The older sister did not look like the older sister. She looked like the the mother of all the of the children. And it was kind of annoying because Or the aunt. Yeah. Like I couldn't see past the fact that she was the sister because she talked as if she was a mom. She kind of had to take on the mom role considering that um they no longer had a mom. But she she was too old for the part, I feel, or at least looked looked it. This was really the summer for Zoe movies, yeah. right as you premiered Four Reelsies on the pod. <laughs> um, we had this, what's it called again? Uh, the Kissing Booth. We had Kissing Booth. What was the other one? Love, Simon. No, and then what was this one we are just talking about? Oh, 12 Boys I Loved Before. And then A Star is Born. And then I saw The Hate You Give today. What's that one? It's really good. You should see it. What's it called? The Hate You Give. I read the book. Netflix? No. Oh. Theaters. Oh, theaters. Yeah. Everyone should go see that movie. It is completely worth seeing. It is not a lighthearted movie, but it's really important to see it. Well, give us the one sentence synopsis. Um, I would say it's almost like a pride movie for um, this black movement that's happening right now. And it is around surrounded about this girl who kind of feels like she's constantly code switching. She lives in a not so nice neighborhood going to a school that is um, predominantly white and living in a neighborhood that is predominantly black. She feels like she's constantly code switching between personalities. And it's almost like an identification movie, but she's also dealing with this really sad incident that happens to one of her best friends. Sounds interesting. Go see it. It's very, very good. Very well done. And read the book. And what other t- what TV shows have you been banging through? Um, I don't know if I've watched any new ones since. Well, you've been busy. We should say for real, yeah. has suffered because you're. I'm super busy. I have a lot of schoolwork and ISCE stuff, and it's like it's it's a lot. But once I'm done with all of this, I will be back and posting. Yeah, and you're playing club soccer, I'm and you're on the volleyball team. Yeah. Yeah, but I do have book recommendation. If oh yeah, do that, do that. Um, I've read this book, who is by Jenny Han, the um, the author of Twelve Boys I've Loved Before. It is a book called The Summer I Turned Pretty. Completely worth reading. It's kind of it sounds exactly like the title, and it is very good. I just started the second book today, and it is like you could should completely read it. It's doesn't have that kind of desperation sense in it, but it's just like very lighthearted and an easy read that I've read in like one night. So, yeah. We went away last weekend and you read that book in one night. Yeah. You didn't hang out with me at all. You were watching baseball. What did you want me to do? Sitting there and like cheer on the Red Sox? Yeah, that would have been nice. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't need you. We made the World Series anyway. Um, Yeah, so you read that. And then there was one other book I thought you read that you liked. Um, that was The Hate You Give. Oh, and the other big thing that happened in our house was you won the Battle Royale on Fortnite before oh. Ben did. 
Okay, so Ben has been a diehard Fortnite player since maybe season two. Yeah. And he has been... Ben's tactic in Fortnite is to run to the people, run to where all the people go. And basically, it's like a suicide mission with Ben. Right, it's it's he's trying to take down as many people as possible. But like I get, I love killing people and going to like very, um, very busy areas. But Ben goes there, not being one of the best Fortnite players. He goes there and he like attempts to kill people with his pickaxe. Right, and it's just it's just I don't even know what to say about it. Ben will get he'll have all this loot and then. He'll see people fighting and instead of just be like, I'll let those dudes kill each other and I'll hang out over here and then sneak over there. He just wades into it like. Ah! <laughs> it's like in a war movie. We should talk about your Fortnite skills. I'm terrible. <laughs> He's terrible. I'm really he bad. plays every single night. And I he play every single night. Get out of here. He hasn't gotten better. I'm bad at it. I'm old. That's not an excuse for playing every single night. You should be good at it by now. Don't play every single night. Stop it. Wait, what else? <laughs> what else do we have? Um, is that it? I'm trying to. Think. We're getting along really well lately. Yeah, we're getting along very well. I didn't really like you in in August and September, but now I feel like your personality's come back. I was stressed out. What are you stressed out for? You're 13. You don't have a job. Uh, yeah, but I have ISCE. And school starting. Explain to the audience what the ISCE is. The ISCE is basically the placement test that you do to, and schools use it to evaluate evaluate whether you'll be a good fit at their school or not. And I've been studying for it since May, twice a week for two hours, and it's super stressful. So, yeah. I'm most proud that we're now almost at the end of October and you haven't done anything on social media that has angered me and forced me to take your phone or anything. Yeah. I'm a good child. Good ch- No, no uh, selfies that I haven't appreciated. Nope. Um, Can't say that for some people. <laughs> <you have. laughs> the selfie culture, that's probably another episode of For Realsies. Oh, for sure. We need to get into that at some point. And then, and then that's it, I guess. Yeah. You're taking the ices this weekend. Yeah. Wish me luck. <laughs> Oh, and you're going to Washington D.C. Oh, I'm going to Washington, Washington D.C., and hopefully we'll run into House on accident. You probably just see him eating, <laughs> <laughs> knocking down all the restaurants, just eating all their food. Kyle, do we cover everything for realsies? Is there anything? Any other topic? I think I think I think we're done. I think so. Why don't you do more Instagram posts from the Four Realsies account? You did the Four Realsies. It's, at, it's I'm just like bad at this type of stuff. I'm such a procrastinator. And when I don't do something like at the first instant that I have the chance to do it, I won't. So I have to like get onto it. And I promise I will be better right after this weekend when I'm done with my ICE. All right. People like the four reasons count. It's the number four R-E-A-L-Z-E-E-S. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty no. sure. Or S-E-E-Z. Yeah. S-E-E-Z. Yeah. So go follow it if you want to hear my weekly up. My updates on teen pop culture. All right. Congratulations. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Uh, thanks to ZipRecruiter.com. Don't forget to check out ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Jonah Hill. Thanks to the Boston Red Sox for making me very happy this week. Uh, enjoy the weekend.
I will talk to you on Sunday night with the cuz, cousin Sal. Until then. <laughs>